are drills important? Yes, but only only if you have the time to do it. So like if you simplify what drills are doing, is your if you look at the law of dynamic correspondence, you're trying to find the drills that touch on a few of those few of those five. Like the ranges of motion. So like I love dribbles because you touch on the ranges of motion. What's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. And this week's guest we have Les Spellman and I have no doubt that this is gonna be anything but boring as Les is a breath full of knowledge. So Les, go ahead and introduce yourself to the few people who maybe don't know who you are. Yeah, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, Intro part's always hard because it's like, where do I start? Where, you know, what do I say? But uh, mainly, obviously, I'm a coach. I'm a dad. I've been in it 10 years. Uh, started off, like, literally as a janitor, like, literally cleaning toilets. Now I, I can go into that story, which is insane. Um, since then, starting an internship with the Olympic Committee, turning that into an actual job, and then realizing that uh, I made $0 and I was poor and uh, I was going to live in poverty. So I had to figure out how to scale a business, and that's been like my life's work the past five and a half years was scaling a business and, and trying to maintain uh, quality and not bastardizing what I'm doing. So that's the brief, <laughs> the brief overview. <laughs> how have yeah. you been able to do that and not – you didn't go the route of going college strength and conditioning, and that's a, you know, a good amount of the listeners are people that – did that route they're either in university or they're in college or high school you didn't why yeah honestly um i mean the truth is i i wasn't qualified to work in college originally um if you really like if i break it down to be honest like i graduated college with a communications degree and i didn't know what i wanted to do um i told you offline that i went to california to go to an olympic uh, rugby tryout and never left and and honestly like I didn't plan on being a coach I was a athlete that really thought I was going to go play in the Olympics and do all these things and when that didn't happen I really looked at like what am I passionate about and I didn't jump into strength conditioning and, and speed to to really make it a, a lifelong journey it was just something that I could do you know short term while I was trying to get <laughs> back on the team and then I just fell in love with it I fell in love with the process of it and to be honest, I, I, I never even got offered a college job until like two, three years ago. You know what oh, I mean? Word? Like, yeah, no, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go the classical route. Um, and there's nothing against that, but like the way that I was looking at it was I, I got into it to help people. And I felt initially I felt limited if I were to go to a team at first. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to, to grow my experiences like human experiences you know obviously I was working with adults and I was working with kids and working with pros and you know so it it was a very different um experience and, and now I'm getting more I'm doing more team stuff now so it's interesting but yeah so it's very different you know you're the third person now <clears throat> second guest but third person that I know where they didn't go the route um I had Cav on and he was talking like one of his buddies was like hey you're gonna be my coach and, you know, you, Cav, and then this other guy, my buddy Jesse, who owns um, a Muay Thai gym, they're all three very successful people. And it's, it's kind of made me even more double down on the fact that it's really about just the ability to connect with humans and then worry about all the credentials, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, 
I look back on coaching um, five, six, seven years, eight, eight years ago. I wasn't very good. I wasn't a very good coach, you know. Like, <laughs> I thought, I thought I That's was. how it's like, supposed to be, though, right? Yeah, I thought I was. Like, I was loud, and I controlled the room and, and all those things. But in terms of, like, legitimate coaching, I wasn't, I wasn't that great. But athletes got better. So, like, what does that tell you? You know, I, I studied communications, and I always say, like, that was a huge competitive advantage for me, like, learning how to communicate effectively and build relationships. Like, if you do that part, that's that's a major, major part of it. Like, you see it on the Internet, and it, you'll see people that are doing crazy stuff, and you're like, man, like, but they get a result. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're doing something right. But then I, I've been, obviously, educating myself, like, throughout that process. And, you know, you, you come to find out, it's like, man, I was pretty poor as a coach. But there's some qualities in there that, are, you know, we're good. So, yeah. What, you know, having that communication degree, how did that help you? Like in the ability to, did you understand people's personalities better or were you just like, Hey, I'm not afraid to talk in a group full of people. Cause I had to do it in college. Yeah. I get that question all the time. So, okay. So this is, this is a crazy story. Like <laughs> it's wild. So Growing, growing up, I lived with my uncle like every summer, right? And my uncle was a filmmaker. And my uncle, like, he did music videos, like, he did Dr. Dre stuff. So I'm on set, like, 13, 14 years old, and I'm like, I'm seeing all these girls and all this money. I'm like, this is, hey, man, this is, this is pretty cool. Like, my uncle does this. So I was getting ready to go to college, and he's like, what are you going to study? I'm like, man, I don't know. And he goes, yo, if you study film, you could always pick up a camera and make money. If you go and study something else, you don't necessarily have a skill. So I was like, cool. Communications was a mixture of journalism, film, you know, kind of everything. So I, was, I took that advice and I was like, I want to learn these skills. And really what I learned was the, the art of storytelling and how to mm. structure or how to, how to structure your communication. So like taking like these big things, like I want to get faster and then being able to communicate those drivers to get faster to the athletes, like here's the process. And then actually implementing that process, like that was like filmmaking to me, because filmmaking is like you write this story. It's like, all right, the superhero is going to kill everybody and he's going to fight the bad guys. And in that story, there's like four or five different periods. Like he's going to learn to be a superhero then he's going to learn to control it. And then he like actually does the actions of it and you see the film. So it's funny because like I, I started thinking about this, this work, like similar to how we were taught in the film school and the journalism school. And um, it was interesting. And then the second piece of that is I, I had a traumatic brain injury um, when I was younger. So I had a, a high-speed car accident, broke my femur, had a traumatic brain injury. And part of my rehab was relearning how to read and comprehend and structure uh, thought processes. So like part of learning how to read is taking the words that you're seeing on paper and then structuring them into actual thoughts. So like I'm reading a bunch of a paragraph, but then my brain has to then take that paragraph, take the main points of that paragraph and structure it into a, a solid story. So those two experiences were like, to me, going into strength and conditioning and speed was like, it's the same exact thing. And what I was seeing was like this very binary, like, um, here's what's on the paper, do this. But there was no storytelling. Like, hey, look, like we're going to take you from A to B, which is storytelling. Uh, this is what you're going to go through. You're going to be sore. You're going to be tired. You're not going to like me. And then we're actually going to do the work, and it's going to be really hard. And, and then you, go <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, like, very um, interesting for me. But, yeah, that's, that's what I study. Yeah. No, that's unbelievable. And starting with the first part of it, you, you make a great point how it is 
you know, your storytelling. And it, it, you can see it in some of the videos that you put out there on social media and your ability to convey to people what you want them to do. Because as a coach, it's not really what you know. It's what you can get your athletes to do. And that's been one thing that I've noticed about you is it seems like you have this really good ability to articulate what you have in here to get other people to do. Do you think strength coaches should go be an actor? Like you, uh, you ever read Mike Leach's book? He was just an actor that knew, and then he's like, and he was a lawyer. So he knew how to talk to people and present arguments. And he's like, oh, that's how I became a coach. You think coaches, uh, is Toastmasters even a thing anymore? Am I showing my age right now? (laughs) No, it is. I mean, I I think the the skill and the art of connecting and communicating and listening aren't skills that you necessarily um, will pick up just being in a college environment or a pro environment. I think those are skills that you, you go and you pick up socially or you go and pick up on your own, take classes and courses. Like, I got, there's like a little life hack that I don't know if everyone knows this, but most of the Harvard Business School courses are free. Really? <laughs> you know I mean, they're, yeah, yeah, on YouTube and you just go and you can, you could take the course. You don't get credit necessarily, yeah, but like, you, who could, cares? you know what I'm saying? You could take the courses. So, like, I'm taking courses on communication and all those types of things. I think that's a skill set. That is, is so important, but in college, you know, if you look at just traditional, like you graduate, you get your master's, you're a GA, you're an intern, you, you work your way up. A lot of times you're, you're being talked at and, and you're being told what to do and it limits your creative thinking of like, how can I convey this to a group of people that are my age or older than me or better than me or whatever, like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it levels the playing field. So I think it's a skill set that coaches should spend a, a significant amount of their free time researching and figuring out because like the information's there. Like none none of us have created anything brand new, but <laughs> the the people that do really well in the industry are taking concepts that other people much smarter have created and then deciphering that information into digestible formats and then getting buy-in from the athlete, coach, sports scientist, whatever. So yeah. Is it harder for you to get that buy-in being somebody that they hire or is it easier because they kind of went after you? Um, I would say it's, it's both sides, like depending, depending, like I think the hardest, that's what I like to do is I like having those challenging conversations. Um, and that's another part of the communications is like skillful disagreements and like, you know, you see it on Twitter all the time. Like, there's, you can see, I get heated, but I don't care. It's like fun. It's, it's like sparring. It's like sparring for me. But um, it's it's really interesting to see how you take people from very different backgrounds. Like, give you an example. You have a sports scientist. You have somebody that's leading the rehab. You have a strength coach. And you have a sport coach. All have very different upbringings, educations, backgrounds, all of that, and very different personalities. Well, how do you get everybody to agree? Mm. And like it's having that conversation to find the commonalities and then de- defining that common language and then restructuring your vocabulary and your dictionary of how you speak about things so that everybody's on the same page. To give you an example, like I can start out and say, hey, coach, I want to do a speed session with your team. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Hey, coach, I want to do a warm-up with your team. Yeah, yeah, do that, do that. Well, within my warm-up, I'm going to do speed. <laughs> but it's a concept that they understand, right? So just finding that those common language. So yeah, I've had, I've had the trouble, but I kind of seek those things out. I kind of look for um, those experiences because it's, it's fun for me. Like I, I like bringing, bringing together different mindsets and not necessarily like trying to be an expert. And it. it's just like, well, how do we connect 
you want to do this and you want to do this, and you're really saying the same thing, you're just using two different words, and one, one side sounds abrasive, but he's really saying the same thing. And um, so yeah, it's been a challenge. Um, even, even when a team brings me in and they're like, hey, we want to get faster, and I, I sit down and, and they want to do all this really sexy, cool stuff, and I'm like, well, well all you really need to do is like, stop doing this. And you're gonna put, you're gonna do, you're gonna run faster. Like, I don't know if you really need my services. Just stop doing this dumb thing, like, <laughs> like a marathon. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. To be honest, it's it's interesting, but that's the fun part. So, you know what? There's so many things that I feel like we could go with that because, I mean, to be brought in to be like, oh, make my team faster. It's like, well, shoot. Do you, is the is your first question like, um, well, what does faster mean to you? Like that way you actually have some sort of metric. Yeah, like define the number one, define that, um, and and so like give me something objective that you're seeing. So like if it's depends who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a sport coach, it's like you want to be faster to execute this strategy and to execute these tactics of playing the game. Okay, that makes sense. Now let's go through how we practice currently. And then let's go through what the current strategy is. And then basically from there, it's like, does it make sense to go in and do all this invasive testing and all this stuff? Um, sometimes, yes. Like, there are instances that's like, all right, we have this major runway of time to actually make changes, so let's do that. But a lot of times, it's no. It's just let's restructure on some of the philosophies of how we might be practicing or what we might be doing that's preventing players from running fast. and and. It's, it's really about an environment, you know? Like, I think when people think about speed training, they think about this, like, mathematician coming up with this equation to make everyone faster, when in reality, it's just, what's the environment look like? And does that environment, is it conducive to sprinting and to running fast? And if it's not, let's correct that. And if it is, now we can optimize and actually go to the next level, which might look like some testing and some other stuff. Um, that leads <clears throat> into my next question pretty well one of my friends wanted to to know about you know what exactly do you do with your gps um speed evals once you get there like what are you looking at how are you measuring it what are kind of without giving away your secrets obviously but just you know a ten thousand foot view of what you do yeah there's there's really no secrets to be honest like, i didn't i didn't invent anything i just find the the people that do a really good job and then combine some things together so the first thing is to, to go with super high level is, is some type of physical testing. Now that physical testing to me is, is like, take away all the technical, like how you hit the ground and all that, whatever, and let's just look at time and velocity. So how fast do you run? Um, if you really wanna get into force velocity stuff, you look at how do you accelerate to that speed? Um, and that could be done split times, that could be done GPS, that could be done lasers, but some type of physical profiling. So let me understand I have a squad of 100 players, and across those 100 players, I want to know which athletes are really good accelerators, which, which guys hit a really high velocity, and which guys st struggle somewhere in the middle. So, like, that's, that's a physical profile. Taking a quick break from the show, everybody. Promises will take less than 15 seconds. Friendly reminder, go ahead, hit that subscribe button below. It helps us out, and it helps you out by being notified whenever we have new content come out. So hit that subscribe button, and with this, let's get back to the show. The second profiling I do is, is more on the technical side. And really, the first thing I look at from the technical side is, based around your signature of how you run, are there any risks? Based around your signature of how you run, are there any risks? So like, 
for example, if an athlete spends a long time in the air and has a really far step length, you can assume that they're crashing into the ground with these high impacts. You're going to see a lot of foot, ankle, calf, those types of things. This is all James Wilde's research um, out of England. Or, or it could be you spend a lot of time on the ground, you have this really short step length, so you spin really fast. Like, okay, like, what are the, what are the, the areas that we've seen based on research that are at risk? All right, that's, that's the first thing on technical. And the second thing on technical is if we, if we do interventions, what can we change and how, and, and how well can we change it? So, like, if you see a certain signature, like, everyone talks about this big backside swing, like, is it bad, right? Now, if we make a change to this big backside swing, is it going to make the athlete faster? Is it going to make them safer? And is it going to increase their performance? If the answer is no anywhere in there, we're not, we're not going to change it. If it's yes, we can, and we have a runway, we have a build-up, we have time, we're going to change it. Um, and then the third thing is like just kind of monitoring changes. So there are teams that we're doing this with now where they're taking a technical profile like once every two weeks, and you're seeing the effects of gameplay and, and how it's changing their running signature, and you're starting to kind of predict or look at um, what might pop up in the future, whether you're going to get slower or you're going to potentially get an injury or, or things like that. And we're not stepping on any rehab toes. Like, we don't define who's going to get injured. They do, but we give them the information. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's really those levels. And then the, the last level is, like, if I really want to go deeper um, and look at force plate analysis, we do a lot of Alex Natera's isometric test. But... There's, there's different layers, and, and not every team does layers. And, and sometimes it's just give me the last year of practice of GPS data, and let's look at how we practice. And, and come to find out, you don't do anything fast in practice and do all this junk volume. So let's start there. And like, let's just change practice, and let's see the change. So that's, yeah, it's, it's pretty open-ended. But to be 100% transparent, like I don't build my business around doing consultancy or are doing that, so it's more of a passion thing. And I can be very objective and very honest because I'm not doing that necessarily for the money. I'm doing that because it's a passion, and I don't play video games. So like, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I do you know, for video game-type stimulation for my brain. So, yeah. Long <clears throat> what, but yeah. No, that was a great answer. What, uh, what do you think about with, within that force velocity profiling that you talked about? How do you see it being used well and poorly within the weight room where it's like, okay, we're going to spend all this time trying to high force or high velocity need for people on the field, but then I feel like it gets kind of ruined in the weight room. Have you seen that? And if so, again, not naming names or anything, but just on your experience, what have you seen the good and the bad? Yeah, for sure. Like going back to what I was saying about communication and you have the strength coach and then you got the on-field guy and then you got the sport scientist and you got the sport coach. A lot of times they're on very separate pages. So like, there's there's philosophies out there. It's like, well, that force velocity stuff doesn't work. And well, let me look at the other components. It's very dependent, which is why it's a flawed test and it's a flawed implementation. Like every test is. But if you don't have the buy-in in terms of building a program based around like sprint-based philosophy, like I, I'm I'm running, I'm trying to get get my players faster. And to do that, I'm supporting it with weight room and supporting it with practice and supporting it with all these things. You're not going to have the result. Um, so yeah, it's 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 difficult if you are doing like a hypertrophy program in the weight room <laughs> and you're trying to emphasize max velocity on the field. Like it's those two things don't don't go together. Well, I mean, 
all the way back to Charlie Francis, it's just like if we're going to do a, a very like stacked periodization where we're going to emphasize qualities, like we're going to do all things, but in what quantities we're going to do those things. If we don't have that, that communication and that line, of there's no point in doing the testing. You know what I mean? Just, just you know, operate how you're operating. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult for sure. For any of the people that are listening out there, and they're like, all right, you know, we're trying to do this and we're, you know, we're in the off season and we're going to do it the right way. What would you tell them? Like, okay, this would be, you know, how you should do it from a 10,000 foot view the right way based off of all the good things you've seen. Yeah, I would, I would start with that physical profiling. So your options are you could do like if you have lasers, I would just get an understanding of how athletes accelerate and how they hit velocity. So if you did splits like 10 and 40, whatever. Um, if you're doing force velocity profiling, that's a really good tool to understand early, late, and velocity. Um, and then it, there's video in there too, but I would just stick with those first two. So understand across your team how athletes are accelerating to their velocity. Um, and then from there, the second thing I would do is make it um, split by position group or position. So we, you have your lineman, you have your big skill, you have your skill. And mm -hmm. then I would compare within that group how the athletes are. So like within my skill players, um, you're at the bottom of your acceleration ability or the top of your acceleration ability, right? And then the third thing I would do is I would look at based around need and then based around our timeline, how should we build out our training? So if I have four weeks before the season, the truth is you're not going to do that. You're not going to make any significant changes. You might as well just keep doing what you're doing. But if, I, if I'm right here in the year and then I play in August, you do have a window. you got 12 weeks. So you know that you, you take, you take your, your whole 12 weeks and you look at your different phases. Your first phase, I would say that's the time where you can attack like everybody very generally. Like everybody kind of needs the same base, just like GPP. It's very general. Everybody's running with heavy sleds. Everybody's accelerating. Everybody's getting stronger in the weight room. Then your second phase is where I would say now you can start to be a little bit more specific and individual. So like, you have your underperforming accelerators, you have your underperforming velocity guys, you start to give them more specific stimulus. So my guys, my four receivers that are terrible off the ball, you guys are gonna continue going heavy or continue doing power stuff. Um, and then that last phase, the last four weeks, I would say you're back to more general where everybody needs to run fast and everyone needs to increase their volume as they go into camp and as they go into and get more specific with decelerations, change of directions, getting into camp. Um, yeah, so I would say I'll be very general in the beginning. Everybody does the same. In the middle, I would get more specific to what players need. And then at the end, I would be general again in terms of um, stimulus. So. Again, you, you teed up my next question um, perfectly because I've <clears throat> been wondering, you know, how much of this – of the training, do you emphasize and, and, and excuse me, you emphasize philosophy wise in your own head of like, okay, I got to do this amount of top end work or this amount of ACL work. And are you just going to be like, Hey, it depends on the sport. And it even depends on the position because if so, I get it, but I'm leading into how this relates to the decelerative work that you've done. Cause I think that is also um, maybe not as talked about as much by other people, but I think that's something that is, you do a great job with. Yeah, so 
Yeah, this is this is the common uh, question. So, and I'll, I'm going to start kind of at the end, and then hopefully I'll make sense back to the beginning. Remember the question, but um, so if I have a sport like soccer, the first thing I want to do is understand like what does a sport of soccer entail? Um, look at volumes, so how much distance they're covering, or how much time they're playing, how much time the ball's in play. Um, look at intensity. So, and I'm I'm not not the soccer level of intensity. I'm looking at like the understanding of intensity is anything neurologically demanding. So high speed, high excel, high decel. So what is the intensity that we see? Is the game played really fast? Um, then I look at the density. So like how often are, you know, how many meters per minute or how often are we accelerating? How many plays per minute? Those types of things. And then I could also look at collision. So once I understand that the sport, then I can start to reverse engineer. So like if in a soccer game, they, they never really play um, in this high speed zone. It's a lot of aerobic stuff. That might change my emphasis of training. So I might emphasize throughout the week the aerobic side of things more. Now, if the game plays middle, higher speed, I'm going to emphasize the repeatability and the high speed side to work on that. So I start kind of with that template. So just to give, give a disclaimer, like if I have a basketball team, speed looks very different than a soccer lacrosse team or football team. So now from there, I look at, okay, like there, there are basic, basic ranges of uh, work that we need to do to actually get the right stimulus to run faster. So if I'm running high, high speed and I'm running maximal speed throughout the week, there is a limit to that. And I would say like, I wouldn't do anything over like 300 to 500 yards of planned work in that. Uh, and that's not saying like walking, I'm saying just like planned work. So if I'm running 30s, things like that. So there's a there's an optimal range for speed. And then there's an optimal range for acceleration. If I want to get quality acceleration work, I'm not doing more than 80 yards of resisted work. I'm not doing a ton of volume in terms of reps and ranges. I'm making those really quality. And then we can start to shape it up is look at, you know, the volume side of things that we talked about is like now I can start looking at the more extensive type activities and how I can build out the rest of my week. So like, does that involve tempo work? Like some people are against tempo work. I'm not, <laughs> I think tempo work is great. Um, you know, like then I can start to build out my week. So when I look at like deceleration, I, I create another bucket. So I have my acceleration bucket. I have an understanding of volumes. Like let's say it's 300 yards of planned work and I have max velocity. Let's say it's 500 yards of planned work. Then I have my deceleration bucket. So for my deceleration bucket, I have two categories I need to touch on. So the first category I need to touch on is capacity. I need to touch on my maximal ability to decelerate. And the maximal ability to decelerate is always going to be from a high speed to a braking action. So I need to touch that throughout the week is high speed to a braking action. And then the second piece I need to look at is the changes of direction, so the different like vectors of changes of direction. Because every change of direction is preceded by deceleration. And I need to do that both extensively and intensively. So when I look at my week, the long answer is like, I look at the game and once I get the idea of the game and what's important and I have my basic volumes and intensities I need to put in, then I start to bleed in where does these change of directions make sense. So I like to do changes of direction on both tempo or extensive days and intensive mm -hmm. days um, where, where we're doing speed. So. That's a long form answer. It's probably a couple other questions off of that. <clears throat> no, and you, you did hit on 
the whole premise of it all was the fact that I think from one of your <clears throat> one of your presentations or maybe something from Altus where it was like your body's not going to run faster than it has the ability to stop. And you touched yeah. on that where it's like, hey, you have to go from a full speed into a stop. How do you go about programming it or how would you recommend to our listeners that maybe had never heard that before? And like, all right, what should I be doing to program it for my athletes to do? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing I look at in terms of capacity is the ability to go high speed into braking, just stopping. So not change any change of direction. It's just can you can you get the athlete to run full speed and then willingly break? And there's different tests you can do without going into too much detail. Like an ADA test is a 20 meter sprint into a break. And the simplest way to, to measure that is what speed do they reach in that 20 meters and how long does it take for them to break? The hardest way, like if I really wanted to dive in, I could look at early decel, late decel, time to stop, distance to stop, all that. But yeah, the, the initial way is the easiest. Like I could have 100 kids line up, run 20 yards with GPS on, and then stop after the cone, easy. So that's the first thing I do. So that is like my capacity. Like it's interesting because it's like, um, I heard somebody say this before where teams are like, well, we don't hit super high speeds in games. And I'm like, okay, well, do you hang clean in a game? No? Okay, well, yeah, well, that makes sense. Like, you're building, you're building a quality and you're building a capacity for something. Now, once I have that capacity and that quality and I'm training that consistently, what I want to do is now look at the different vectors of changes of direction. So really basically, I can look at the vectors as like downhill. So I get a 45 degree downhill. I go look at 90 or anything between 45 and 90. I could look at uphill, which would be like 135 degrees, and I could look at straight ahead. Um, and then you could look at the most challenging, which would be like a, a straight back, like a 180 degree turn, right? So if I look at the different vectors of deceleration, I wanna look at programming those vectors both extensively and intensively. So there are days where I wanna repeat and do multiple decelerations at different vectors over and over again that are pre-planned. Then I want to move from pre-planned to more of a reaction. So maybe it's a follow the leader or maybe it's a game. Eventually I want to end it up where we're building the volume so that they can play the game and there's, you know, we're matching that quality in the off season. But I want to build that, that changes of direction in different vectors. And then intensively would be doing those changes of direction at high, high speed, at high entry speeds. So when I look at programming throughout the week, I have a day that's focused on the intensive aspects of deceleration, which is high speed into braking, and maybe high speed into braking in different changes of direction. Then I have days that are more focused on the extensive the change of directions where it's gonna be um, repeat or continuous or high density, so short breaks where they're decelerating over and over and over again, building that capacity. So I look at it in those two buckets um, and then I bleed that throughout the week. So depending on the sport, like if I have a football team right now, we have three days a week. We have an acceleration day, which is like a pure horizontal linear day, everything's straight. Then we have a max velocity day. That max velocity day is a combination of straight line speed and uphill changes of direction. And then mm -hmm. we have a change of direction day, which is changes of directions in all vectors that are pre-planned, and then it goes to a more reactive, and then it goes to games. And that's, those, are my, those are my three days that I have. And, and that's typically how I, I run most of it. Is like, and, and I don't really do, I, I stop doing high speed um, in just a linear fashion. I do high speed in curves. I do high speed with uphill cuts. I do high speed with anything that's uphill. 
and, and moving with the reaction and with the stimulus of another player that I have to react to to maintain that speed. So, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the way we roll with that. <clears throat> Sticking on with the high speed stuff, and you talked about the yardage before. Do you only count the fly yardage, or do you also count maybe five, ten yards before it? So if you're going to do like a thirty yard build, ten yard fly, do you count like okay, that's about twenty yards of high speed, or are you just only going to take ten? Yeah, so when I said that 500 number, like I'm, I'm looking at if I don't have GPS and I'm quantifying from the beginning of the run through the high speed zone. So like if I'm doing a 30 build, 10 fly, I would just say that's 40. Now if I'm okay. doing, if I have GPS and I'm running through it, I'm gonna look at just that like upper zone and GPS, like the high speed, like 90 to 100%. And I would have different volumes. Like typically in that, we don't even go over 100 yards of high, high speed, like above. 90, 95, um, that, that zone could be pretty short in reality. Um, but I'm looking at it from the standpoint, like if I don't have GPS, I'm just gonna count that whole zone yeah. as, my, as my distance for that. <clears throat> um, one of my former colleagues, Amit, if you're listening to this, this question's for you, brother. Um, he and I would always talk about like me mechanics with team sport athletes. And it's cause he ran track and he worked with the track team. And he always talked, he's like, you know, is there ever really enough time to develop the changes in their mechanics for high speed running for a team sport athlete if maybe it's 10 to 15 minutes let's be on the generous end four times a week for a four-week phase he's like is that even enough why even do it and i know my opinion and i know he knows his opinion but what is your opinion on that yeah mixed i i think depending on the time that you have like if you have i, I look at it this way the most important thing you can do is get the stimulus to make someone mm. faster. The second most important thing you could do is develop the physical quality. And the third most important thing you could do is change someone's technique. And they're kind of tiered that way because of the time that it takes to respond to, this, to, to the actual thing. So like responding to stimulus, you're gonna make someone faster within a couple weeks um, if, they, if they have the right stimulus, the right volume and intensity of work. If, you're physically supporting that with like plyos and weight room and building the, the other pieces around it. Practice isn't like an asshole practice where you're just running gas. You're going to, you're going to get faster. Right. Now, right? So if I look at the technical side, if I want to make a technical change, well, the truth is initially making a technical change, you make someone worse. Mm. And, and, Making a technical change is also a major risk because they might move that way. Their, their signature might be that way uh, as a preventative mechanism. So, like, they might, they might mm. do something that looks weird to you technically, and you might say, oh, we got to change it, we got to change it, but it might be something that their body is, is producing to get the actual result that they need to get. So you're, gonna, you're exposing them to risk, you're exposing them to poor performance, and then you're wasting time a lot of times. <laughs> So because if you have 15 minutes, you spend 11, 12 minutes on technical stuff, well, you got 11, 12 minutes of very low intensity work, and that leaves a very short amount of time to get the right stimulus, which means you're probably not going to get the stimulus. So when I look at that, I look at, are drills important? Yes, but only, only if you have the time to do it. So like, if you simplify what drills are doing, is your, if you look at the law of dynamic correspondence, you're trying to find the drills that touch on a few of those, few of those five, like the ranges of motion. So like, I love dribbles because you touch on the ranges of motion. Um, the force application would be one too. So like, 
if I look at dribbles, I can also get high forces in short time frames. All right, so I try to pick the drills that have the highest transfer that are also the easiest to learn. Because sometimes it takes like, if it takes six weeks to learn a drill to be able to do it right, like scrap it. Like, I think there's, a, there's definitely an overemphasis of drill work in uh, team sport athletes. And um, I would say you could, you could get by not doing any drills and be successful. You cannot get by not doing any stimulus work or physical work. You know what I mean? So with that in mind, it's like if I'm, if I'm a sport coach and I want my players to get faster, you are absolutely a speed coach. You absolutely can make your team sport players faster by making sure they hit the right stimulus, supporting it with some jumps and bounds and plyos and uh, weight room stuff, or just not being an asshole coach in practice. And you're going to get players faster. So, yeah, absolutely. That was – I don't know if you've ever said that before, but that's a uh, – drills are only important if you have time is something that I wrote down and I'm going to completely build off of because it kind of goes into what we've been talking about on Strength Coach Network for a while now is you don't have that much time to teach Olympic lifts, a hang power – like, and you can say what you want, but – it's not, it doesn't have the same ROI and you can't instantly see it kind of like running. So that's an interesting point because sometimes maybe you don't have the time and you do just have to kind of put them in there. And something that I've seen on your socials is like, Hey, how can you then teach the drill maybe in the rest period? Is that something that you have then done when you're in a time crunch? Yeah, for sure. Like we, we will, it's like, it's like, um, look at this, like uh, skill acquisition and, and, and stacking. So like, there's times where we'll do like a high speed run and in that break, we'll do a drill. It's like we'll drill, 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 and then we'll do something else and then we'll come back to the high speed run. Because instead uh -huh. of like, we know, okay, if I run really, really, really fast, I have like a four, let's say three to five minute rest period. Well, in team sports, if I, if I, tell, it, if I tell the soccer coach, hey coach, we're gonna run one time and then rest three minutes, I'm fired. Like, he's gonna be like, I'm like, what do I have you out here to have these players standing around looking at butterflies doing? He's going to look down and just see people resting. So what I started doing is like, all right, I'm going to make you run fast, like warm you up, obviously. And then, then we're going to go to station two. So in station two, we're going to hold the med ball overhead and do switches or do this or do that. Like it's just filling the time because drills are relatively low intensity in terms of like speeds that we're moving forward, even forces at times in certain drills. So stack the habit. So the, mm. the goal is make you run faster. If I do a drill after running fast, I can connect the skill of the drill to the skill of running faster because the next time I go run, I'm going to think about whatever the coach was cueing. So, yeah, I do a little bit of that. Like um, I, I would say like on social media, um, our marketing team is awesome, but they don't, they don't necessarily know like um, – Man, how do I say this? If you're listening, marketing team, I love you guys. But they're going to look at it and say, okay, like he's doing most of the coaching during the drills, so let's put all the drills on Instagram, right? Well, because when I, when I watch somebody run, I don't say anything. So it doesn't look very good on Instagram. So it's like <laughs> you're going to end up seeing a lot of drills from me, but that's mainly because that's the only time I'm talking. So that's why it looks like that, and that's why it's like there's so many drills. I'm like, it's like four, but yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> For anybody that's listening and they went the same route, you know, or, or people like me, like, all right, they're in a transition period and they're like, am I going to get back into college or not? What was, in your opinion, your big break into, I mean, some of the higher level 
clientele that you've been able to get around? Like, what was kind of that um, the breakthrough moment for you, and, and how did it happen? Yeah, uh, man. So, like, just to be clear, like starting out, I well, I, I was working with the Olympic team, so I didn't make the Olympic rugby team. I was in the player pool for a little bit. wasn't very good. Um, I don't even know why I was there. It's because every the minute we're done playing, you still want to keep playing in some capacity, yeah, right? Like exactly. So I was whatever. So long story short, I got offered to intern with the Olympic Committee and work with rugby, which turned into like an actual job. So I'm I'm now working with USA Rugby and uh, with the sevens team, and then that led into doing a little bit of work in other countries with sevens and and all that. So I had a little bit of uh, experience, and then I also got a bronze medalist in uh, bobsled in 2014, which was like my second year of coaching. Again, I had hardly anything to do with it. I got lucky because this girl was a massive, fast athlete, Asia Evans. She's a monster. She would have got, she would have got a bronze. You probably would have got a silver if my mom was coaching her, right? So I got lucky. So anyway, I get done the Olympic stuff and I'm like, yo, I literally made zero dollars. I think I lost money every year working in the Olympic side. And I'm like, this ain't it, bro. (laughs) <laughs> and I was trying to get advice from people, and they're like, man, like, start a gym, start a this. I'm like, ah, I don't know. So I came up with this idea. I was like, I'm going to DM, and um, Twitter was really big. This is 2015, 2016. I'm going to DM every agent that I can find. I'm going to look them up, whatever. And I hit up every agent, and I got no responses. So I'm like, man, all right, I can't get in the NFL space. So I had this, like, camp, and I had this quarterback show up, and he was from Oregon. And I'm like, no way! Like you, Dakota Prukop showed up, and he was like, man, I want, you know, I love this. Like I want to, I want to do my draft training with you. I was like, done. So he was my first athlete. Like just randomly showed up, right? And it was through a mutual connection. But he shows up to draft training. He brings his friend Johnny Munt. And Johnny, I don't know, probably haven't heard of him, but he's won a Super Bowl. He's like kind of low key tight end, but he's he's been in the league seven, eight years. Good for and him. He brought him, and he brought another guy. So I had like this group of three guys that were free agent level, maybe never gonna make it. But I was like, you know what? I'm making, I was making zero dollars from there. I was sleeping in my car. I had one intern. We would sneak into hotels in the morning, get oatmeal packets to eat. To eat. We crushed protein shakes for lunch. And then we collectively put money together to either decide to get gas or to get food at night. And this is, this is a real story. Like this is for real. So we're going through this process and I'm like, look, we can't afford a strength coach. We can't afford a physical therapist, whatever. So we're going to take this. Um, we're going to take a bunch of courses, right? I'm going to take the EXO certification course. I'm going to take a stretch therapy course. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I did. So I was a stretch therapist. I, w- I did the strength stuff. I did all that. And I was like, you know what? We're going to do the best job we can with these three guys. And I promise you next year we're going to have more. So anyway, long story short, I did a really good job with those guys. They did well. They all had friends and teammates. They, they chattered, and I don't know how good of a job I really did, but I had 18 the next year. Oh, wow. 18 guys showed up the next year, same idea. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to learn as much as I can. I'm going to bring people in. I'm going to take $0 personally, and I'm going to invest Again? it in education. Oh, you yeah. invested. Oh, okay. You reinvested yeah. it in the business, yep. Reinvested in the business. Like, little things like I was – you know, instead of the guys, hey, go drink your protein, I'm, I'm buying protein shaker bottles, putting their name on it, making them the shake at the end of the session. Like little things that, you know, are, are going to go a long way because we didn't have like crazy facilities, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So 
my big break came is like I killed it with those 18 guys ran four three fast whatever guys you know I had my first guy drafted I had my first guy at the combine the next year I got approached by Kobe Bryant's group to run Mamba Sports Academy um, but the way that it happened was I was like literally uh, and Mamba guys sports academy if you're listening you probably never even heard this story but <laughs> basically what happened was I like camped out at the facility when I heard Kobe was going to be there and I just like begged for an interview and um, they were like yeah okay cool so I got an interview and basically they made me like the third in line to run the, the combine stuff so there was two guys ahead of me that were like the senior guys and I was like the junior guy under I was like yeah cool I'll take it um, I got lucky because those two guys stopped showing up to meetings and I kept I was showing up to meetings in LA and I live in San Diego at 8 a.m. I'm, I'm driving up at 430 in the morning to go up there I went to every meeting, so eventually they were like, "Hey, Les, like we can't trust these other guys. Like I need you, I need you to run it." So I got that break, and that was 2019, and I was Greedy Williams, Quentin Williams. I had my first rounders, and um, the thing is, the interesting thing is, is I, I never took a job. I only did 10.99 because I was like, eventually I kind of want to do my own like thing. So the next year I did my own, but then I partnered with Mamba. So like I had my own business, but then I partnered with them to do the strength and the recovery and everything else. And I had Joe Burrow and had all these guys, same philosophy, kill it, do as much as you can, help, don't take any money. So until 2020, I never made a dollar on combine training. I never profited a dollar on combine training because uh, I reinvested everything I made back into more staff, more people, more education, uh, like splitting the pie up to bring in a, a better strength. Like I'm a, I'm good at it, but I'm, I'm not great at it, so you need to hire out, right? So I hired out. You know, we were the first the group to, that did GPS and combine training, so that was a cost. Like, so long story short, um, I got my big break in 2019. I had Greedy Williams ran a 4.3. Quentin Williams ran a 4.8 at 305 pounds. And yeah, I, that's when I started feeling. getting noticed. And I just looked at it the way I looked at everything, like, I'm just gonna build really good relationships with the athletes and do a really good job, communicate a ton of information and to the agent so they understand what's happening. Then I'm gonna use that to get another group of guys. And that's kind of how it, grew, it went. And um, yeah, so it was very organic and it's 100% relationship based. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm in every guy's wedding, you know, like I'm, I'm there like, to me, it was never about the business side of things. It was like, you're 23 years old and you're about to make $50 million. Like, let me help you figure this thing out, right? And like, even now I can say, I don't, combine isn't about profitability. It's like, it, it, it's a testament to a coach to show, is your, is your philosophy gonna work? And are you gonna get buy-in? And is it, are they gonna execute at the highest level? It's the best way to do that. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it grew, yeah. That's awesome. And to any of our listeners out there that just heard that, hopefully it was a, uh, you know, inspiring story to just the ability to keep pushing through. And you got to be, I mean, you got to be proud of your ability to just keep pushing through those difficult times. Any specific textbook or things that you've read that have helped you along the way to, to stick with that mindset? Because that's impressive, man. Yeah. Um, the Atomic Habits is, is probably like build systems, not goals. So like build your system. Um like, yeah, set goals, but build your systems and, and understand that, like, coaches don't really think as much about investment because, like, to be, to be truthful, like, a lot of coaches don't have, like, the capital to invest in the businesses and other things. But 
coaches can invest time and energy and like the time and energy investment reaps massive benefits so like the time and energy spent building a system or building your culture or building your mission or building your vision is going to reap like huge effects long term so like that's atomic habits helped me uh obviously the bible um and then like in terms of like um philosophy books uh, or sport philosophy books like Fergus Connolly's books really helped me understand um, communication within sports but also helped me understand that everybody has a bias and that everybody's going to think they understand things but the more you understand the less you realize you actually know Whew, so ain't that it, the truth yeah so like it helps you maintain that um um, like Jay Z had a had a lyric. He was like, "I'm a, or Biggie had a. He's like, I'm gonna attack this as if I was an intern. Like the day one, I was everyday mindset of like I'm an intern because no matter how much you know, there's still like this mountain of knowledge that someone else has, and you have to be able to to humbly learn from them, but still do your job and have have confidence. So like having that ability is is massive in sports. Like you do need an ego in this field. You know what I mean? Like you, I think you do, but it's how much and is it controlled? Because end of the day, you have to face the kids that you have to have confidence in front of. The athletes have to have confidence in front of. So like Fergus helped me understand. I don't really know shit, and <laughs> like attack it with confidence, but be open when you you get feedback. Like go seek it out and negative seek out some negative feedback about how what you've done might you thought you might have thought it was good. How did it negatively affect someone else within your system? And you, and you know what I mean? So, yeah. No, man, I appreciate it. Um, there anything that we didn't talk about that you that you want to have a soapbox on and have the ability to, to say something on? Or if not, man, I'm going to let you go and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I look at, I look at this field, and, like, I, I'm sure a lot of people have this. Is like, you look at Twitter, you look at things. It, it's kind of... Kind of depressing. Like our 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 industry is very interesting. The way that we operate with each other and communicate with each other, um, and like I would just encourage people just to be real. And like, if you don't like something, say it. I don't care what badge you got on your chest. Because the more people that start doing that and start being real, and like, hey, man, this isn't. I don't like this, or I do like this. Like, we we have to get to the point in this industry where people stop accepting bullshit and stop accepting uh less and like until that happens like we don't move forward like we, we don't we don't have the respect that a pt has in in some fields in some industries like you know what i mean they look at us like oh you just you're just in the weight room or you're just on the field so i think a lot of that comes from us not speaking up on stuff and being real like and and we have to kill this culture of like you eat shit until you become a director. Like that's not that's not the reality. Like that's not the reality. Like you, you need to be in a culture that builds you and grows you, so you don't repeat that cycle. So yeah, that's like the main thing that I I want to speak on. So no better way to go out. I, I I agree with you on that. That's a you got me at a loss for words. I appreciate that, man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave it down in the show notes, but any, any specific site or places that you want people can, um, can get information on how to get in touch with you and, and what you're doing? Yeah. I'll, I'll just like, I, I really try to not like, I suck at, um, self-promotion and stuff like that. So 
really there's two there's two things that I'm working on that are important to me. So the first thing is just like the consultancy side of the business, which includes combine and all that stuff. So like if you're if you want to chat about that stuff, like lesbauman.com. Uh, the other thing I'm passionate about building is a software platform called Universal Speed Rating. And that's universalspeedrating.com. And we, we've built that, we got an MVP going, we raised some money, like it's growing. It's, it's about to, we're about to launch something that's like insane that I've been working on, investing time, energy, money, everything into um, over the next couple months. It's gonna like be really, really, really cool. So check like it out. Like measuring thigh angular velocity and ground contact time. Like what, what do you, you, tease it a little bit, let the people, give them, give them a little something, something. Yeah, um, without going into too much detail. And yeah, just tease it, just just a little bit. It's uh, it it is a, a tool to measure what you're doing very easily, like Perfect. very easily, very simply, and um, track athletes and and all that stuff. And if you look at our field in sprinting, it's hard because it's a horizontal motion. And it's moving. Um, it's not as easy to track as golf and baseball. So like those industries are way further ahead. We're catching up to that. So I think in the next couple months we'll have, we'll have something that will be very shocking and, and very, and again, I, I, I'm not trying to like, you know, self promote, but at the same time, the, my mission is to help as many people as possible and collect as much data as possible that we can make objective decisions over. So that's, that's been my mission. Uh, on that side. So yeah, universalspeedrating.com that's coming out and then yeah, let's get it. Appreciate it, man. I'm going to put those in the in the bottom of the show notes so that way uh both both sites so everybody can see it and uh appreciate you taking out the time to uh to talk with us today. Of course, yeah. Anytime. Have a good one.